Trust always affects two measurable outcomes, always. Speed and cost. And there's a very simple formula. When the trust goes down in any relationship or on a team, in a company, in a culture, or in the marketplace or with customers, in any relationship, when the trust goes down, here's what you will always find. The speed will go down with it. Everything will take you longer to do. And the cost will go up. Everything will cost you more to do. Now that is a tax, a low trust tax, a wasted tax. Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Today, I am joined by Stephen M. R. Covey, who is the New York Times and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Speed of Trust. The book I have here in front of me is being translated into 22 languages and has sold over 2 million copies worldwide. He's also the co-author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Smart Trust. And Stephen brings to his writings the perspective of a practitioner as he is the former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, where he increased shareholder value by over 67 times, taking it from 2.4 million to over 160 million. He grew the company to become the largest leadership development firm in the world. If you heard that correctly, I'm sure many of you will already be familiar with his name, but just in case, a little bit of background information for you. He's a Harvard MBA. He co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust practice, and he serves on numerous boards, including the Government Leadership Advisory Council, and he's been recognized with the Lifetime Achievement Award for Top Thought Leaders in Trust, something we're going to discuss in a lot more detail today from the advocacy group Trust Across America, Trust Around the World. Now, Steve is a highly sought-after international speaker who I'm delighted to have on today's podcast. He's taught trust and leadership in 55 countries to businesses, governments, military, education, healthcare, and NGO entities. So a huge pleasure for me to say, welcome, Stephen. Joe, how are you feeling today? Hi, Nick. Hey, I'm feeling fantastic. Excited to be on this podcast and especially uh, to have this conversation with you. So really, really delighted. Thank you for this opportunity. I feel totally honored. And those listeners that be with me before will already be familiar, of course, with Stephen Covey's work and Franklin Covey's work because we featured it before. But um, we're here today to talk about a subject of trust. And I'd like to do something a little bit new, something I haven't really done before on this podcast, Stephen. That's, if I may ask you, if I can just read a excerpt from your, from your books. I think it gives a really good foundation to today's conversation. Are you happy for me to read a little bit? That'd be great. Yeah, I'd love it. Here we go. And bear with me. I'm I'm not known to be a great reader of these things, but hopefully this will put it into context. The book says, there is one thing that is common to every individual, relationship, team, family, organization, nation, economy, and civilization throughout the world. One thing which, if removed, will destroy the most powerful government, the most successful business, the most thriving economy, the most influential leadership, the greatest friendship, the strongest character, the deepest love. On the other hand, if developed and leveraged, that one thing has the potential to create unparalleled success and prosperity in every dimension of life. Yet, it is the least understood, most neglected, and most underestimated possibility of our time. That one thing is trust. And trust is something we're going to talk about all about today. And I thought that was such a wonderfully put part to your book that I wanted to read out to you today. So let's start with that. Let's talk about developing trust, Stephen, as my first question, if we may. Right now, particularly as we come through, hopefully, this pandemic, trust has really been an element that organisations have had to come to terms with very quickly, with new ways of working, working from home and things like that. And organisations now are really trying to maintain engagement, maintain relevancy, stay ahead of the technological curve. With this in mind, I would love to know is trust a learnable skill or is it inherent? Yeah, that's a great question because it's really foundational to all of my work, but really to any you know any HR professional, sure. the whole idea that can you intentionally build trust in the culture or on a team? And in my short answer is that trust is in fact a learnable skill. It is a competency that we can learn and create and grow and establish and expand. And in some cases, even restore 
when it's been lost. Now, now what's interesting about that is, and it's kind of set up in the, in the way that you framed your question, for many people, they kind of don't view trust as learnable. They kind of operate from the premise of, hey, you either have it yes. or you don't. <laughs> Binary. You do what you don't. Yeah. 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 It's either there or it's not. Hey, and if it's not there, not much you can do about it. And, and I will acknowledge, Nick, that we all start with a level of trust, whether it be low, medium, high, anywhere along the spectrum. You know, we start with a level of trust based upon our, our past and our relationship. But the main point I want to make is this, that in the same way that you can diminish and lose trust through your behavior, you can also consciously, deliberately create it, grow it, expand it through your behavior. And in fact, you can become exceptionally good at building trust on purpose. You can turn it into your greatest strength as a leader, as a team, as an organization. And I think the great opportunity for HR professionals today is to help their organization build a high trust culture. Because if you can intentionally build a high trust culture, that will impact everything else that you're trying to do. And it is, in fact, learnable. And so it is an extraordinary competency to be able to build trust intentionally. I think we need to do that, especially in a world of declining trust, where it tends to be going down all around us. And if we, if we don't counteract that, we'll continue sure. down the vicious downward cycle of distrust and suspicion, creating more of the same. I like to put it this way. Distrust is, is, is contagious. Distrust is contagious. So we've got to counteract that. And we've got to build trust and confidence. And that also is contagious. And it, it can become a virtuous upward spiral. So that is the great competency of our times, the ability to create trust on purpose. I think it is learnable. Well, it's something I believe from reading the parts of your book. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm loving it at the minute. But I know that obviously in my introduction there, I mentioned it as well. You utilize this development of trust, this, these learning behaviors to really transform your business, your learning as in the business as well. So tell me a little bit about some of the things you did there to really help develop that trust, particularly where perhaps people are challenging it, not thinking it's a learnable skill. How did you overcome some of those objections? Yeah, well, I, I remember when we had merged our companies the old Covey Leadership Center with Franklin Quest and, and, you know, two great organizations. And, uh, but we were competing and we were overlapping in the time management space. And so we had become arts competitors. And now <laughs> after years of competing, now we're combined. <laughs> and you know what? There was kind of distrust or a lack of trust, not so much because we had done things in the merger to lose it, but more just because we came at this combination with completely different perspectives, angles, understandings, and we, we'd been competing for years. Sure. So suddenly we're combined and there's lower trust because it kind of divided into camps, the, the Franklin camp, the Covey camp. <laughs> and what we had to realize is that, that uh, we were going to kind of waste a lot of time and energy with a politicized culture where everything was viewed through a lens of, you know, of, you know, he, he said, she said, you know, uh, we and they, you know, competing, but we didn't trust each other fully. And we said, we've got to work at building trust. And can you do this? And the premise was that you can, you can build it intentionally. So we had to lead out and I had to lead it, lead out in doing this. And I had to declare my intent that right. we want to build trust, that that mattered. And then we had to kind of signal our behavior, that is tell people what we were going to do. So they're, they're aware of it. They're looking for it. And then most importantly, we now had to do what we just say, said we were going to do. And we had to behave our way into trust by doing things like talking straight and creating transparency and clarifying expectations and practicing accountability and listening first. And, and then also even extending trust. You got to give it to get it. And a whole bunch of behaviors that we ultimately codified. And, and, and over time, we learned that you could move the needle on trust, that it was learnable. And I had that own, my own experience with that. And, and then, so I'm coming at this as a practitioner, someone that's been on both sides of the equation where I've had you know, a high trust team and culture, really built it and ran with it went through a merger where suddenly now there's low trust and yeah. people aren't trusting me. 
And I had to earn that trust, create it, build it, and and uh, and transform the the environment. And we did. We went to from low trust to high trust, and I saw how everything changed. And I came out of that saying, "My goodness, trust is truly the one thing that changes everything because everything." is impacted by the level of trust. And without the trust, we were slow. We, everything was costly. Everything was politicized. We couldn't collaborate. We couldn't innovate very well. We were internally focused instead of client focused. And we weren't getting great results. Once we transformed the culture, built the trust, it changed everything. We were faster, less cost, more effective. We had greater collaboration, greater innovation, greater engagement of our people. And we got far better outcomes and results. And, and um, it changed everything. But it also energized the team and the culture. So I saw how you change trust, it changes everything else. Sure. But also, the main learning was that, in fact, trust was learnable. That we could go from low trust to high trust. It didn't happen overnight. And it didn't happen by just happen chance. It happened because we became intentional and deliberate about behaving our way into trust, just like you could behave your way out of trust. And so that's the idea that you can learn to build trust on purpose through your credibility and through your behavior. Trust is learnable through behavior. As a brilliant example. Of course, results do speak for themselves, which I mentioned in the introduction there. They were phenomenal results. What I thought was really interesting is it seems so obvious that trust is a critical function that you need within your business for it to run successfully. And yet, as a business owner myself, and as someone who works with a lot of senior level board, you know, professional CEOs, HR directors, and so on, it's not really a conversation that comes up that often. And yet in my personal life, in relationship life with my wife, and you know that you, your relationship is founded on trust. It seems to be more prevalent in personal life than in, in business conjecture and business conversations. But you say in your, in your book, there's a quote where you say, trust is a hard-edged economic driver. So putting it into that business context, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, first of all, your point of we all kind of understand trust as being important from a per, at a personal level. Yeah. Any relationship that is enduring, sustainable, that is productive and even happy is based upon trust. And energy, and so we, as you said. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So we get this personally, but we often have not looked at trust beyond being a social virtue. And I'd like to point out, it is an economic driver. And here's why, Nick. Trust always affects two measurable outcomes, always. Speed and cost. And there's a very simple formula. When the trust goes down in any relationship or on a team, in a company, in a culture, or in the marketplace or with customers, in any relationship, when the trust goes down, here's what you will always find. The speed will go down with it. Everything will take you longer to do. Yeah. And the cost will go up. Everything will cost you more to do. Now, that is a tax, a low-trust tax, a wasted tax. And the examples of that are all around us in our low-trust world. So just to our listeners and viewers, just reflect upon a low-trust relationship that you have and what it's like to work with that person. Think of low-trust teams you've been a part of, maybe in the past or maybe now where there's distrust on a team and now you've got to work together and collaborate, but you don't trust each other. Think when there's two departments, two functions that got to collaborate, work together, but there's low trust between them. Think if you lost trust in the marketplace with a partner, with a customer, how everything takes you longer, costs you more. That is a tax, very real. But thankfully, the converse is equally real. And when that trust goes up in any relationship, on a team, in a company, in a culture, with customers in the marketplace, when the trust goes up, the speed goes up with it. You can do everything faster. The cost comes down. Now, that is a dividend, a high trust dividend. Yeah. And Nick, it's that simple, that powerful, yeah. that predictable. And the good news is the dividend, there's also examples of that all around us. So just, just think about any high trust relationship you have. My guess is you move fast, low cost. Think of teams where you've built high trust on the team, the speed at which you can move. Think where there's two groups, departments, two functions got to work together and collaborate and they trust each other. Think when you have trust with a customer, comes time to renew the contract and there's high trust. You see, speed happens when people trust each other and nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. Nothing is as profitable as the economics of trust. It's truly the one thing that changes everything. That's the idea that trust is financial. 
not just social. You can put an economic value on it. And the data shows that it's like a three times performance multiplier wow. is the effect of high trust. High trust organizations outperform low trust organizations by about three times in total return to shareholders. A couple of different studies on that. And so it's a performance multiplier of 3x on everything you're trying to do. That is financial. And once you see the economics of trust, you'll start to see it everywhere. So hopefully this will change the paradigm of, of, our, of our listeners and viewers that trust is not just a soft social virtue. It is that, but it is also a hard edge economic driver that affects the speed and cost of everything. And that high trust is like a three times performance multiplier. What an advantage for any organization, for any leader. I love your passion for this. It's infectious. Well, it's a bit like, like trust is right. But I can play a little bit of devil's advocate with you, Stephen, because I get what you're saying. That makes total sense to me. Of course, I'm not second guessing my, my teams or, or my departments. If I'm not checking work, if I'm letting them run with things, things are always going to be quicker. And that's great. But sometimes you just have teams of individuals where you struggle to have that trust, even though you know that, that having it is beneficial but it's not there. And we know it now, it can be learned. What are some of the initiatives HR leaders can implement? What can people, teams do or leaders do to really build that trust if it isn't currently in play at the moment? What do you, what do you sort of, and in addition to that, what do you see as the things really impacting on trust working successfully? Yes, this is a great question um, because it's so practical and it's needed with, of how, we, how can we build this if it's not there? Well, here's the first thing. If you can focus on making the creation of trust an explicit objective, just like you have other objectives, like sure. you know, gaining market share, increasing profit, um, you know, increasing the speed of of in the, in the sales cycle, what have you. If you could also create as an objective to build trust, most people never thought of that as being a tangible. I, thing I never have, to be honest, never yeah. have. Yeah. But trust is learnable, you can, and that also trust is measurable. You can measure it. And you can move the needle on it. And, you know, because trust is a perception. You can measure perceptions. And, and you can move from low to medium and medium to high trust. You can get good at this. So that's the first thing. Because uh, we tend to focus on what we measure. And we measure what we value. So value trust, measure trust, make trust an objective. That's number one. Right. And, 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 um, and that way, it will communicate to your people, yeah, we want to get results. And... We want to do it in a way that builds trust. It's not either or, it's and. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, if you can then help people see that you build trust through your credibility and through your behavior. So if you can lead out model first and give to your team a leader that they can trust, a model that they can trust, so people can look at you and say, oh, that's what you mean. You're that kind of leader. In other words, you don't point the finger and say, you're the problem, but you rather say, hey, Here's how you build trust. You model it and you model it as a leader. You model it on your team. You model it as your team work with, works with other teams. So people can see a model of doing this. And then when there's not, when people don't build trust and they're not good at building trust, I've also learned this. Always make sure you separate the person from their behavior. So okay. don't attack people. Instead, address behavior. And rather than saying to somebody, hey, you know what? I don't trust you. In fact, nobody on this team trusts you. Those are pretty strong fighting words hey, for most people. Yeah. If you could instead separate the person from their behavior, maybe say something like this, hey, this kind of behavior, when you make a commitment and don't follow through and keep it, it causes pe other people to lose trust. Or when you talk, but you're, but you're kind of spinning and sugarcoating and kind of telling people what they want to hear versus truly talking straight. That causes people to lose trust. Or when you have a hidden agenda and you partially give what you're trying to do, but there's another agenda that people can kind of just sense and smell and taste. That, that hidden agenda causes people to lose trust. So you call out the behavior and, and, and then you make a behavior-specific request of them of what would help them build more trust with you. And, and you know, so, hey, don't make a commitment to me unless you're willing to keep it. And if you've got a concern or problem, Come to me. Don't go around me behind my back. And, you know, you call out the behavior 
and, and allow people the chance to behave their way back into trust. And then also you can reciprocate and say, and what can I do to build more trust with you? So it's never that you're the whole problem. It's I want to lead out with this. I want to model this. Here's what I'm seeing in behavior that causes me and others to lose trust. Here's what would help build it. Do you, you know, is this something you'd be willing to work on? And what can I do to reciprocate and build this kind of trust with you? And that kind of process and HR professionals and leaders can and be the catalyst to help bring this about so that they can see that trust is learnable and you help people learn that they can behave their way into trust just like they, they can behave their way out of trust. And, and I think that the HR leaders are truly the catalyst for this. First, by modeling and second, by helping in the process of, of demonstrating to people that trust is a function of your credibility and your behavior and you can choose to behave in ways that build trust and you can build your credibility and you model how to do it. That's the idea. No, I love that. And I, I, I challenge anyone listening to this in whatever role that you work in, not to be able to think of a relative example where you could have utilized what you've just said in a certain situation. I know that I certainly can. There's always been, there's always someone or some instant where you can revert back to just listening to what you were saying. They're going, actually, maybe I could have addressed that better. Maybe I could have had that conversation to improve that relationship at that time. So we've got time to change that going forward, which is excellent. You also say in your book that trust is the new currency of our independent collaborative world. Now, I thought this was really interesting because at the moment, we are in interesting times. We have got people working from home where they never have done before, and that's challenging the trust within leaders, within teams. So is it possible then if someone, let's say someone has worked from home and for whatever reason, they've lost that trust. Now, you talked a little bit there about how you can build trust, but how do we restore it when it's been completely abused? Is that possible, particularly in, when you're working remotely as well, when you can't always meet someone face-to-face? Yeah. Well, this is an important question because if you can't restore trust, we're probably all circling the drain, right? <laughs> because yeah. we've all at some point have violated it. I believe, Nick, in most situations, in most cases that you can restore trust. But I also acknowledge that maybe not in every situation. There might be some situations or relationships where the nature of the loss of trust is so egregious that it's going to be hard to restore it. Or maybe the relationship is very transactional and you won't have a chance to restore it because people just move on. Or maybe both parties are not willing to allow you to behave your way back into trust. So it doesn't always work out that you can restore it. So you got to be careful. But I believe in most situations, you can, if you're willing to behave your way back into it. And here's the key principle. You can't talk your way out of a problem (laughs) that you behaved your way into. You can't talk your way out of a problem you behaved your way into. The only way out is to behave your way out. Words alone are necessary, but they're insufficient. So if we've lost people's trust through our behavior, the only way to get it back is through our behavior. And that will take some time. And we're going to have to kind of own it. And that's practice accountability. Take responsibility. It's hard to restore trust within someone if you're saying, hey, not my fault. It's his fault, her fault, their fault. Blame, Blame other people. It doesn't inspire confidence. What does is saying, I own this, I take responsibility for it. Then I right the wrong as best I can. Make it right when you're wrong. That might mean you apologize, maybe. Maybe you make restitution, a legal concept to make whole. You do what it takes to make it right. And then you clarify expectations going forward of what you're going to do to try to earn their trust back. And you ask them, and listen, what what can I do to earn trust back? And you clarify, here's what I'm going to do. And you you signal your behavior. And then you do what you say you're going to do and consistently. And it'll take you longer to restore it. It's sure. harder. It takes you longer. You've got to be consistent. But if you do those things up front where you own it, you take responsibility, you right the wrong, you clarify expectations of what you're going to do to try to regain it. And then you do what you say you're going to do. You make and keep your commitments. I believe it's possible to restore it. I've seen leaders do this. I've seen companies do it where they've lost the trust and they restore it and they turn it into a great strength. And so it's doable in most situations. And that's exciting because, because in a low trust world, it, no, just knowing that, you know what, you can change course, you can change the, the trajectory and you can even regain it if it's been lost, if you're willing 
to behave your way back into it. And that's the key is the, it's got a, is a function of our behavior. And, and so there's certain behaviors that will help you build trust and even restore trust when it's been lost. No, I love that. Don't, the whole don't, don't tell me, show me. Don't tell me, show me. And you're right, we've certainly seen companies do it. I mean, we're talking silly in the UK at the minute, we were talking about vaccines and big pharma. And we know that pharma companies, without naming any individually, have lost people's trust in the past and they've suddenly gained it back now through, through different things. So we can see it on huge corporate levels, right down to individual levels, where, as you say, it can be restored if the actions are done correctly. And to bring it back to an organizational um, level, there's a chapter in your book which talks about how families are organizations too. And I love that because I mentioned earlier that, you know, I think about trust a lot in my personal life and I don't always reference it in my business life, but I absolutely believe that of my organization that I run certainly is a, is a family. We've worked with each other for a long time. There's certainly a lot of trust between ourselves. And actually we spend more time at work than we do with our loved ones at home. So when you talk about in your chapter, you talk about um, art before going into the behavioral elements, which you just mentioned, you say you ask every company four key questions. And usually it ends up with an, uh, an aha moment after you've asked them. I'll read the four questions in just a moment. But I wonder if you could tell us why in particular these are the four questions that really brought those aha moments. If you can give us any examples. So the questions are, how do you describe a low trust organization? How do you describe a high trust organization? Which description best represents your organization and what are the results? And of course, all of this is available in the book if people want to read more. But why are those four questions so poignant? And, and tell us a little bit about some of those aha moments that you've experienced. The reason I think that these questions are relevant is that it kind of helps us make trust tangible and, and you know, and understandable. In other words, in a, we're all experts on trust in a sense, because we have relationships. Sure. We're on teams. We're in organizations, even if it's like you say, in your family or in the community. And, and we all can kind of look at how are things done here? And, and you look at the observable behaviors, the actions, and you know, and you can see whether or not there's behaviors that will build the trust, or if there's behaviors everywhere they're going to destroy it. So when you're seeing everywhere people pointing the finger blaming other people, the blame game going on, or people spinning or twisting, manipulating, posturing, or when you see people talking behind other people's backs or gossiping, or when you see people operating with hidden agendas, or your people, where you see people really not listening to understand, but just kind of efficiently trying to get through, go through the motions, or people over-promise and under-deliver, a whole bunch of different behaviors. When you see those kind of behaviors going on in the culture, on the team, almost without even needing to do a trust assessment, you can almost know that's a low trust culture, low trust team. I can walk into a team and within a few hours, give you a sense of the level of trust on the team by just observing the behaviors. The flip side is true as well. When you see people talking straight and when they're open, when they're transparent, when they're listening first, when they're seeking clarity and understanding, when they're declaring their intent, when they're taking responsibility and owning things, and and um, you know when they're righting the wrong, uh, when when they speak about people as if they were present, nice. and and uh, and when they make and keep commitments, and when I also when I see people extending trust to others, I can just almost walk in and within again a few hours or a day or two, be able to say you know what this is a high trust team and culture, and you can measure it if you want very scientifically. But, you, but almost all of us can see it. And then if you can look at the, the results that flow from either high trust or low trust, and the differences, the contrast, that can mean night and day different, and, and recognize, my goodness, this is not just a soft social virtue. It is economic. It's impacting everything that we're trying to do, including our ability to collaborate and to innovate and to engage our people, but also... It affects our results and our outcomes in terms of the, the economic performance. And it also affects the, the energy and the joy. Is this a fun culture? Is it exciting? Do people enjoy working here? Because that's going to be an attractor of talent. And, you know, low trust cultures are exhausting and they're no fun and no one wants to be a part of them. They want to go find a place where they're trusted. And so, you know, all these things impact us. And it has, a, it has a profound effect on what we do. And so the whole idea is just to try to look at the world through the lens of trust. And each of us can become actually quite good at this. 
and, and recognize how trust is truly the one thing that changes everything. Those are questions that help you kind of assess that in any situation. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting, and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Now, obviously, the, the chapter goes into much more detail, but I wanted to bring it out because it, it gave me an, an, an aha moment reading it because when I reference it to my own business, I thought, actually, there are elements here that I'm really proud of. And that gave me energy. That made me think, you know what? We've got some of these bits of trust. And I'm really proud of my team. And actually, when was the last time I sat back and considered it that we have this? This is a beautiful thing that we've developed over 12 years of our company building that. And actually, we should be really proud and we should sell that. And we should talk about that openly, which we're not doing. So it's given me that aha moment. It also reminded me of where there are elements we can improve and things that maybe we, we need to make sure we're always talking and, and the the art of the conversation is dying a little bit with the, the introduction of so much technology and instant messaging. And it reminded me of the importance of conversation because actually from my perspective, to build trust, it does rely on more than just a digital communication. It involves talking and getting to know somebody, understanding their drivers, their attitudes, their behaviours. So I definitely had an aha moment just reading it. So I was fascinated to know how you've seen it from having worked with so many CEOs, so many different businesses. Uh, it must be a really exciting part of your role to have, to have seen those aha moments in others. It, it is so exciting when people recognise that, that trust is truly a new frontier of not only economic value, but of building the kind of culture that is going to help them attract and retain and keep and inspire great people. And, and, and so, and it is an aha moment that everyone knows trust is social. They never thought of it as financial. Sure. Everyone knows trust is, uh, you know, an important thing. They've never thought of it as a learnable skill, as a competency. And these are ahas for people. And once they see that, it changes everything. How Definitely they do me. The world. Hands up here. I was one of those people, right? So yeah, yeah. Now. You know, here's the other thought I have, Nick. And, and I'm trying to think of from the HR leader point of view, the big challenges facing us today. I mean, there's so many, right? With sure. all these new forces of change upon us, these emerging forces of, of how the world has changed with, with uh, technology, disruptive technologies, and how the, the nature of work itself has changed, both the what in terms of, it's more collaborative, more interdependent, more service oriented, but also the where, you know, work from anywhere, work from home, work from, work from anywhere and everywhere. And the nature of the workforce has changed. We've got so many generations, as many as five today, and the diversity and the need for inclusion. And then the nature of choice have changed. We have so many options. We've gone from multiple choice to infinite choice. And people have choices of where and how they want to work and, and the, the gig economy, all these things. And so all these forces have kind of put a premium to the HR professional and to the, the line leaders in the organization around what I call the two epic organizational imperatives of our time. And the first is to build a high trust culture that can attract, retain, engage, and inspire the best people so that we can win the war for talent and win in the workplace. And, and you've got this, this war for talent has never been more important than now when people have so many options and choices. And, and you have an ability to work from anywhere. And, and, and so you've got to win that war for talent. And the best way to win that is to build a high trust culture because that inspires people. And it's inspiration is the new engagement. It's another level, it's the next frontier. And so you've got to inspire your people and nothing does that like a high trust culture. And the second imperative is that we've got to then be able to collaborate and innovate within our organization so that we can win in the marketplace. In this changing world where everything is changing, we've got to stay relevant. And we do that through innovation. 
And you can't innovate unless you can collaborate. So collaboration and innovation, that flows from trust as well. And you build high trust, your ability to collaborate goes up, your ability to innovate goes up, and that way you win in the marketplace. So the two imperatives, win in the workplace, win in the marketplace. And it is trust that is the foundational element that helps us do both. It's inspiration, it's innovation, and trust elevates both in profound ways. That is the charge to HR leaders today. Build a high-trust culture so we can inspire and attract the best people and create a high-trust culture so we can collaborate and innovate and win with our customers in the marketplace. Trust, again, is the performance multiplier for doing both of these imperatives. And that's why I think it's so relevant to any HR professional because it will help us do everything we're trying to do inside of our organization better, faster, and with greater creativity, energy, excitement, passion, commitment, and fun. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's what trust is all about. Energy and joy. Inspiration. You're speaking my language. I mean, I've been, I've been in recruitment for nearly two decades and uh, I couldn't have put it more eloquently. I'm tempted to just to close the podcast here. I can't. I've got more questions I want to ask you, but that energetic response that I couldn't agree with more, uh, particularly we're talking about that war on talent, the ability to attract and retain. And, and when you do retain, get the best out of your teams. Brilliantly put, Stephen. I'm absolutely delighted you're able to elaborate on those two points. I recommend anyone just rewinds that little section and listen it back to it again. Close your eyes and just just drink it in because I think it's absolutely on point. What businesses need to do if they want to win that war on talent and they want to be productive and they want to progress their profits, progress their businesses and get the best talent. Excellent. So before we do close the podcast, I want to ask two very quick questions, if I may. One is... From an HR perspective, let's stay on that HR point for a moment. For them, where is leadership going? Where is leadership evolving? I mean, you're obviously a CEO of the biggest leadership center in the world. I couldn't leave this podcast without asking you that question, Stephen. Well, I like to put it this way, that the world has changed. And yet for too many, our style of leadership has not. We're still kind of trapped in the old style of leadership, what we might call command and control. And, and all that's happened is really we become better at it more sophisticated at it, more enlightened at it, but still the paradigm is too much command and control where, where people are things, we manage, we manage people like we manage things and, and we're trying to be efficient. It's just we believe we've learned to bring more benevolence to it, more strengths to it, even more mission to it, more enlightenment to it, but our paradigm hasn't shifted. We need to new, move to a new paradigm of leadership of how we view people and leadership itself. And I call it trust and inspire versus command and control. Trust and inspire is where the puck is going, to use the hockey metaphor. Yeah. That, you know, Wayne Gretzky says, I skate to where the puck is going to be. It's around trust and inspiring people, trusting people, inspiring them. And because that's the opportunity in, in the workplace today. And those that are trapped in the old paradigm of enlightened command and control aren't going to be relevant in this new world because it's moving too fast. And you can't command and control your way to greater collaboration or innovation. You do that through trust and inspire and trusting your people, inspiring them to make a difference and, and bringing purpose and meaning and contribution to your work, to all that you're doing. And that's where, that's where it's going. And you can see that in the trends and in, in, in what's happening. And yet too many people just give lip service to it, but they haven't changed the paradigm. So I like to put it this way. Here's a series of fundamental beliefs that represent this new paradigm of leadership. Excellent. The belief is this, that I believe that people have greatness inside of them. So my job as a leader is to unleash them, not control them. Another belief, I believe that people are whole people, body, heart, mind, and spirit. So my job as, as a leader is to inspire, not merely motivate. Motivation is command and control. Inspiration is trust and inspire. I believe that there is enough for everyone. So my job as a leader is to elevate caring above competing, trying to create environments where everyone can win. I believe that leadership is stewardship. So my job as a leader is to put service above self-interest as a better way to lead in our world today and elevate all stakeholders, 
not just shareholders. And finally, enduring influence is created and sustained from the inside out. So my job as a leader is to go first. Someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. So when we have leaders that believe there's greatness inside of people and people are a whole people, there's enough for everyone and that leadership is stewardship and that you create this sustainable influence from the inside out, then, then we act, we behave, we model differently. And those leaders move forward by modeling, by trusting and inspiring. And they set the tone and set the pace for what is needed today. And they lead from the inside out. And they start with themselves and their own teams. And I've seen HR professionals transform entire organizations by starting right within their own team, becoming such a high trust, high inspire team that they build that and they ripple out. And all the people they're working with, the business partners and the, you know, the HR partners are working with the line leaders and the different business leaders, they begin to model this and they begin to transform the entire organization from the HR role. And so this is an extraordinary opportunity to demonstrate the kind of leadership that is needed to be successful in this new era. And, and it's gotta be trust and inspired. That's where the puck is going. And I believe that that's what the great leaders will be doing in the times to come. You want an example of this? Think of Satya Nadella of Microsoft and how he's transformed Microsoft. When, when, he, when, he, when he came in, people had felt like, hey, Microsoft had seen its best days they're in the past, but he's completely recreated that organization through an extraordinary, what I would call a trust and inspire style of leadership, where he models, he trusts, and he inspires. And now they're winning the war in the workplace, the war for talent. They're winning in the workplace with a great culture that is inspiring to people, and they're innovating again and trying to win that war in the marketplace and, and by being relevant with innovation and collaboration in new and different ways. And there's many, many other examples we could all look to, but that's the opportunity that we can do this. And I believe the HR professional can be the catalyst to bring about the kind of leadership that's needed today. The way you talk is so compelling, so profound, and um, I love it. It's infectious, Stephen. Your passion for this subject is, is amazing, I have to say. I mean, it's inspiring just to listen to it as a, as a host, so I hope my listeners are feeling the same. My last question, though, I've got so many HR directors listening to this. I'm sure they're all enthralled. Enough of my voice bringing it back to you because they're the one that, you're the one they want to hear. What's the next big thing, then, with everything you've said today, to bring it full circle, what's the next big thing in the world of HR learning and development that that should that everyone should, should really be considering and thinking about now it's inspiration inspiration is the new engagement it's the next level it's the next frontier now look i'm not downplaying engagement the whole focus on engagement is the right focus and and we want to build you know high trust fully engaged cultures and and we and there's the gap in engagement is extraordinary still everywhere so seeking to build a highly engaged team and culture still is holy grail. But there's another frontier beyond that, and that's inspiration. A study from Bain shows this, that inspired employees are 56% more productive than engaged employees. Wow, okay. There's another that. frontier. Right. Inspiration is a new engagement. And here's what I want to say, is that everyone can inspire. It is a learnable skill. And the main point I'm trying to make here is this, is I want to separate inspiration from being charismatic. Sometimes people think, well, you know, the inspiring person is the charismatic person. That may or may not be true. I know a lot of people who are not charismatic at all, who, but who are very inspiring because of who they are, how they lead, how they extend trust, and how they embed and imbue and create purpose into everything that they do. And it is very inspiring, even though they're not, quote, charismatic. And, and, and so you don't have to be in charismatic to be inspiring. Everyone can inspire. You inspire when you model great behavior, including humility. There's a study from LRN that shows that people that are humble are 18 times more likely to inspire their, their people, the people around them. You, so you inspire through your modeling. You inspire when you trust people to be trusted as the most inspiring form of human motivation. It brings out the very best in all of us. 
And so everyone can be trusting and learn to be trusting in smart ways. That inspires people. But you also inspire when you connect with people through your caring and through creating a sense of belonging. And when you also connect to purpose, to meaning and to contribution, and you try to embed any role and any organization with purpose, meaning and contribution, and you can do that. And when you connect with people and connect to purpose, that inspires. And so my main point is, inspiring is a learnable competency, just like trust is. And we can get good at inspiring. And inspiration is the new frontier. It's where it's going. And, and that if we can build high trust cultures that not only engage people, that, that inspire people, we will best win that war for talent and innovate in the, in the marketplace. Oh, and that will keep us relevant. We can get better at finding it as well. I mean, inspiration can be found in so many places, from the up campaign, just looking up when you're outdoors, to you know, uh, coming out of bounce back abilities, we say in the UK, but coming through adversity. I mean, I look at my brother who um, sadly lost his arm and he's 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 came disabled, having been right arm, he lost his right arm, and he's just had a prosthetic fitted that's taken him ten years. And he's an inspiration to me. I mean, to what he's gone through to get back up and keep working and be a parent, and we've got mums working from home, you know, trying to juggle work and, and and child care and all these different things and inspiration can be found in so many places that I couldn't agree more it's a it's a fantastic thing to to be able to inspire others but also to be able to find it in others as well I love it and the example of your brother that's inspiring see that's a form of modeling and and um we need that in a low trust world we need models and models can become mentors and if we get enough of that working within an organization, you can transform that organization. Models becoming mentors. And, and so we've got to lead out with this and everyone can be can inspire and, and it's learnable. And that's what's needed today is this inspiration. It's the new frontier. And so that's, that's exciting, Nick. The last thing I, I want to just give one sure. last point Please. to all of our listeners and, and viewers. And that is simply this idea of it. For all of this kind of grandeur, you know, thinking of how trust is so important, always remember that trust is created from the inside out. And it's very easy to kind of look out there and say, well, as soon as the boss changes, the CEO changes, or this person or that person, then we can build this kind of culture. And that kind of thinking is the problem. We've got to look inside out. We've got to look in the mirror. We've got to start with ourselves because self-trust precedes relationship trust which precedes team trust, which precedes organizational trust, which precedes market trust, which precedes societal trust. It's inside out. And I remember one time I gave a presentation at the break, someone came up to me and said, Stephen, your presentation makes so much sense to me because it kind of gives me a way of viewing my, my problems in my career. And he said, look, I'm not happy with where I'm at. And my whole life, I've blamed everybody else. My first job, couldn't trust my boss. So I get another boss, can't trust him either. Go to another company, can't trust this boss, can't trust the leaders, can't trust the company. This has been my pattern. I go home to my community, can't trust my neighbor. He goes, I don't even trust my kids. And, you know, he went on and on. And then he said, and then when you put up that metaphor that trust is built from the inside out and showed the ripple effect where the drop water comes down, the ripples, the waves, they start on the inside and they ripple out. Then I realized what my problem was. And then he looked around to make sure no one was looking and very carefully, he whispered into my ear and said these words, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. And I realize now I'm projecting that distrust out onto everybody else. So what do I do? And I said, here's what I would do just to increase that self-trust. Start by making and keeping commitments to yourself in the little things. And the fastest way to build trust with another person is to make that person a commitment and to keep it. Make another commitment and keep it. Guess what? That's also the fastest way to make and build trust with yourself. Make and keep commitments to yourself. And you do that and you go from one to another to another and you'll begin to build a sense of, of integrity, of clarity, of power. And you build that self-trust from the inside out. And when you build that trust in yourself, it becomes easy, natural, and abundant to build trust with others and on relationships and on teams. It's inside out, always looking in the mirror, 
always starting with ourselves. My, I imagine that most people listening to this podcast are already saying, I've got high self-trust, but it remains the common denominator of the starting point for all of us. Always look in the mirror. Always start with yourself, your credibility, your behavior. You do that well, and you will be the catalyst to create trust from the inside out. You will be that model who becomes the mentor, and you will be the ripple in the pond, and you'll build that trust from the inside out. That is the charge. That is the challenge to each and every one of us to get better, to become a catalyst for building high trust in a low trust world. We can do this. We need to bring about a renaissance of trust, Nick. There's too much distrust in our world, and we've got to bring about this renaissance of trust. And I, I challenge all of us, starting with you and I, Nick, and, and, and all our listeners and viewers on this podcast to be a catalyst to bring about a renaissance of trust. It's what's needed today. I love that. A little drum roll to finish. That's brilliant. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the HRND podcast today. But anyone is interested, the book is called The Speed of Trust. I will, of course, put links in the episode notes for anyone who's interested in either the audible version or the, uh, the written version uh, of the book. Uh, and don't just take my word for it either. There are so many other amazing um, people out there that have read this book and given great quotes, CEOs, business leaders, and so on. Uh, Nolan Archibald, for example, CEO of Black & Decker Corporation, said the book. this is a book that every Everyone should make time to read. So um, I hope this podcast has inspired you, but go and check it out. It's a brilliant book. I'm halfway through it. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm enjoying every minute of it and every word of it, should I say. Um, I'll put the links in the episode notes, but I also would like to direct everyone to the speedoftrust.com website where you can find videos of Stephen. You can find training. You can book Stephen for your own event and have a chat with him directly as well if you wish to. Um, is there any other links that you'd like to mention, Stephen, to, that our listeners can grab or, or get access to? That, that's the best one, speedoftrust.com. And you can follow me on social media, um, at Stephen M.R. Cut me on Twitter, LinkedIn, the like. So speedoftrust.com is the best way. There's a lot of tools, resources that you can so access. Many so many tools. So many tools and resources. It's worth checking out regardless because there are so many free, free things you can download and watch and uh, it's well worth a, a check. So to mention that again, it's speedoftrust.com. I will put a link in the episode notes, of course. And as well, if you are an HR and L&D leader listening to this podcast and you need help with an HR or L&D related vacancy, then of course, I am a specialist global HR recruiter. I would love to help you. You can access my details also in the episode notes or contact me directly at nick at jjrecruitment.com. That just leads me to say a huge thank you again to Stephen M. R. Covey for what has been a fantastic conversation, an inspirational conversation about trust. I've learned loads. I've been inspired. I've had my aha moment myself. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I wish everyone a great episode. I hope you've enjoyed this. And I look forward to bringing you the next episode real soon. Take care of yourselves and each other. And thank you, Stephen. You are welcome. Thank you, Nick. Great to be with you. And I really admire you and your fantastic podcast and the difference you're making in the world. You inspire trust. Well, thank you so much. You're too kind. You're too kind. Thank you so much for tuning into the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment. If you need help with a current payroll vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.